Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Welcome to everyone, especially also to the Santon guys that's, that's joining us this morning. It's, it's really amazing. Um, I always enjoy the big groups when we get to join together as the two churches. Um, so uh, I am... How many of you are sort of excited and looking forward to this year ending? You can be honest. <laughs> um, you, can, you can say to the, to the person next to you and says, no, dar. <laughs> and says, no, dar. We're almost there. Um, right. Um, but um, before this year is finished, um, I, I would like to speak about a few things that we that we can sort of take the time to consider as we draw towards the end of this year and drawing closer to a new year. Um, last year, I, uh, I think I had a similar slot. Um, this, <laughs> and, um, and my sermon was uh, by faith, um, being able to, to view the past year by faith, but also to view the coming year by faith. And today is not very different. Um, has a different angle to it, but um, it, it's pretty much the same thing. But, um, you know, this, this, this sense of reflecting is so healthy when we, when we come to an end of a year, and it's almost crucial. Um, and, um, you know, we had our small group end of the year celebration or bry last week, um, and we were speaking about what stood out for you in small group this year. Um, and everyone had many highlights, but for me, this year, we, we took some time and we stood still in James 1, um, the beginning of James 1. It took us like four weeks to get through like six verses, but it, it so stirred our small group and it stirred my heart. It was my highlight by far because it brought up so many uncomfortable conversations in our small group. Um, but it, it challenged each and every single one of us on how we understood um, God's word and his heart towards us. Um, and so I want to encourage you that while you're reading this scripture and while you're listening to the sermon, that if you feel like at some stage there's a, a war happening and things are tugging and pulling, that's normal, uh, right? We experience the same. Um, and, and I want to actually encourage you to embrace that discomfort um, because I'm hoping that, that this will be as big of a blessing for you as it was for us uh, and for me. Um, and so we're going to, I mentioned it, but we're going to read out of James 1 all the way till, till verse 12, from verse 1 to 12. And I'm reading out of the ESV, if you want to read with me, or you can follow me up there. Um, too bad you're going to have to drive. I'm not going to be able to do both. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, so let's start with James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. 
But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I realize you didn't have the rest of that scripture. Sorry about that. Um, Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, what a privilege it is, Lord, to, to read your word, Father God. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather together, Lord, as brothers and sisters, Lord, and um, and thank you, Father God, for the truth, Lord, that, that is buried within your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you will not only, uh, that we will not just read your word this morning, Lord, but it will really become revelation to us, Lord. We pray that it will become alive in us, Lord. Your word says that your word is alive and that is active, Lord. And you, Lord, your word says that your, it cuts between marrow and bone, and that it's able to divide the intentions of our heart, Lord, and Lord, we pray that we would not shy away, Lord, that when you try to reveal the intentions of our hearts to us, Lord. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you are so faithful that when you reveal, that you also deal, Lord, with the things of our heart, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we know that this is your truth um, and that your word is always there, Lord, to guide us and to correct us, Lord, and to lead us closer to you. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I truly believe it's this carpet that makes my mouth dry. Uh, but um, Okay, so we're going to jump straight into it. And uh, we're going to take verse for verse. Um, and, um, you know, when we were going through Colossians, Henny challenged me deeply to not just read past the introductions of letters, especially when he took the introduction of a letter and did a whole sermon on it. Um, and so I was quite challenged with James 1 verse 1. Um, and, and so James 1 verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersions, in the dispersion greetings. Right, seems pretty simple. Um, and, and so, I mean, obviously we see who writes this letter, it's James. And, and to give you some quick context, James is the actual blood brother of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and what's extremely interesting is that even though he was the brother of Jesus Christ, he only came to salvation after the death and the resurrection of Christ. He did not follow his brother just because he was his brother. Um, he only came to that revelation that Jesus was the Messiah after his death and his resurrection. Um, And then through that conversion, James now became the the leader of the church of Jerusalem, which essentially means that he became the leader of the Christian Jews. And, um, and, and, And that's why the next thing he says is he's addressing the 12 tribes in dispersion. And so what does he mean by the 12 tribes? Um, If you know a little bit of the Old Testament, um, the whole of Israel is divided into 12 tribes. So when 
James is saying 12 tribes, he's basically addressing the entire Israel. Um, but James proclaims his faith. He says that James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So James is not just addressing the Jews. He is addressing the Jewish believers. And, and this makes things a little bit problematic when he addresses the 12 tribes because he's not addressing the Jews of Israel. He is addressing the Jewish Christians that belong to the new Israel. And I'll explain this. Like, because Jesus, in, in his walk, he chooses 12 disciples. And his 12 disciples um, ends up signifying Jesus' new reign as king. And he establishes a new church, a new Israel, through his 12 disciples. And so when James here is saying to the 12 tribes, he is not referring to the old Israel. He is referring to the new Israel. Um, and, and, and what makes this extremely interesting is that he says that the 12 tribes are in dispersion. So I had to look up this word. But the dispersion means scattered. So to the 12 tribes that are scattered. And so um, the Jewish people, the old Israel, is very much, was very much in dispersion at that stage. Today, in a way, they're still dispersed across the world. But um, most of this dispersion and this scattering happened through the, the enslaving of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Um, but Paul, but we said, sorry, I'm going to refer to Paul a lot wrongly uh, because it's James. We've been preaching out of Paul. Um, but um, so he's, he's saying that the 12 tribes of the new Israel is also dispersed. And then what he means by that is that the Jewish Christians at that time were all being dispersed among the regions um, because of tribulation, because of suffering, because these Jews had already been experiencing quite a lot of tribulation and affliction because they were Jewish people amongst the Gentiles. And not only that, now they became Jewish Christians, which meant that they don't, not only belong, they don't belong among the Gentiles, but they don't among, belong among the Jewish people which separated them completely and isolated them, and it scattered these Christians all among the regions. And so why is this important? Because in a very real way, you and I are in dispersion today. We are a part of the new Israel. We are a part of, the, of God's church because we believe in Christ. Um, and why is this important? Because we are in dispersion because the Jewish people, yet dispersed across the globe, are longing that one day God will gather them all together and bring them back to the promised land um, which he had promised them, that they will be united in their home where they belong. Um, but you see, for the Christian, it's different. For these Jewish Christians who James is writing for, he is not referring to, he's not referring to that longing to Jerusalem. He's referring to our heavenly home. And so what I want us to understand is that each and every single one of us have to understand that if you are a believer, that you are in some way, shape, or form, you are scattered across the nation. Um, and we are not where we belong. 
Amen. Does that make sense? We long, we long, we deeply long for the day that the Lord will come and he will gather not just us, but believers all across the globe together and bring us all to himself in, in our heavenly home. Um, and so that for me is amazing news. Um, and it's something that we need to understand and look forward to. And, and the reason James mentions this is he mentions to these Jewish people that are Christians following Christ, he reminds them that they are not where they belong. And the reason he does that, and, and this is sort of where we are going with this, is that because we are not where we belong, James assumes that there will be trials. Because we are not where we are supposed to be, he assumes that it will not be easy and that life will not be that simple um, for these believers. But he then focuses in to help these believers within the trials to not lose focus of what is truly important. And, and he jumps straight into it, into verse 2, and he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What a statement. This, I think we sat in small group two weeks on this. Well, this, this is quite a big statement. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so I want to make this practical. When we look back at 2023 and you consider the events of your life, Let's say just in 2023, everything you've been through, from the highest high to the lowest low, can we count that as joy? Each and every single thing. It's, it's very difficult. And, and, I, and I, I, the reason why I'm saying that is because that's not what James is saying. James is not expecting us that each and James is not saying that each and every single try will be a joy. He's not saying that. But James is asking us to change the way we view trials in order for us to at the end of it to view it as joyful. And that when trials come to be able to view it as joy. And um, and so he so we cannot be ignorant about the fact that trials are tough. I'm not here to say that trials are simple and that trials are easy. Some of us have gone through extremely, extremely difficult trials in this year. Um, and, and so it would, be, it would be, I would almost say it would be unfair to say just call it joy. Just, just rub it off and just slap the joysticker on it. It's not that simple. And every single one of us that's experienced deep trials know that it's not that simple. But it is important to understand the way we perceive and understand the trial will determine the outcome and the reaction we have towards that trial. Right? And... And it is often, what we don't understand sometimes, is that often the way we come out of a trial is very closely 
connected to how we view God and to how deep our trust and our faith is connected in him. And, and that's why James actually goes on in verse 3. He says, for you know. James says the words, for you know. He makes this, he ex- assumes that this is public knowledge. He assumes that you and I know this, right? And so I want you to test if you know this. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so what, Paul, what James is implying is that are you aware and am I aware that as believers that we will be tested? Do we know this? Or do we think it sometimes happens? James says that we ought to know this. He says that we should expect to be tested. And, and in fact, we're going to see that our faith needs testing. That testing is not just going to come, but the testing of our faith is necessary. And, and James uses this word testing, right? And I want to maybe ask the question, why do we need testing? Right? We've, we've proclaimed our faith in Jesus Christ. That's enough. <laughs> Isn't that enough? Um, why does it need testing? Because if you think of a test, what does a test do? What is the purpose of a test? A test is to reveal how much of what you've learned are you able to apply. Or, or how much of what you've learned and studied are you able to understand and, and to sort of grasp um, and, and, and the test can go two ways. You can either test how little you know, or you can test how much you know, right? It's, it's the way you view the test. I think it's also the way the test is set up. Like, for example, this, let's say one of these chairs. We can either test this chair to see how strong it is, right? And, and that will... That will allow us to build a certain test for it, or we can test how weak it is. And that will require a different set of testing. Um, and, and so, I mean, I wish that sometimes we can sort of view testing the way students view testing. Like, I don't need to know too much, or I don't need to know too little, I just need to know enough. Like, just for the 50, right? So I just need to know enough. But, but the enough... That's not what we are called to, right? We are not called to, to go through the testing of our faith with a 50% and to sort of scrape through, you know? The Bible speaks of people that will scrape through. Like, it does speak of that. But this is not what, what James is speaking about. He's speaking about a, a testing and a strengthening of our faith. Um, and, and so... The testing that James is talking about is a positive testing. The the Greek word is dokimion, um, and and it refers, its its focus is on improvement and not failure, right? And that's really important to understand, and and we, we know this. We do this every day of our lives. Like, why do you taste food and then add salt? And then taste it again, and then add something else, and then taste it again. It's to improve it, right? 
Um, no one has that much faith in themselves to just like boom, boom, bam, and it's amazing. It just doesn't work like that. For example, this morning when we walked in, the sound here was tested. Every microphone was tested um, to make sure that it works. Your vehicle, when you buy a car, it needs to go through a roadworthy test. Yes, for your safety, but mostly also for the protection of others, to make sure that your car is roadworthy. So it is a positive test, but it remains a test. But the difference is, is that the enemy also loves testing our faith. And, and his aim is not improvement. When he tests, when he comes with a test, it is to test our weakness. And he, he, his ultimate aim is to have our faith fail, not strengthen. Because that is the ultimate goal. Hebrews 11 says that it is impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. Jesus says that when I come back one day, will I find faith? And so we have to understand how important this faith aspect is. And the enemy's attack is not focused on the trial, it is focused on our faith. And, and so I want to ask the question, are you and I conscious about the fact that when we go through trials or when trials come our way, is the first thing that comes to your mind the fact that I'm being tested? Are, are we aware that this could be a test? And that I have a role to play to work through this test with the Lord so that I make sure that my strength is, fa- is that my faith is strengthened through this trial and not weakened. Um, and so James is speaking to those who have faith. And he's saying that each and every single trial will be an opportunity to produce endurance through the testing of your faith. It will be an opportunity to strengthen that faith. I want you to just close your eyes for a second. Um, And I I want you to, to give you an exercise to maybe think back on the year just in your in your mind and I want you to think of the the your favorite or your best moment, the best thing that happened to you this year. I want you to put it in your mind to think of that. I see the married people smiling. <laughs> right? So my follow up question, you can keep your eyes closed. How much joy does that generate you? It brings quite a lot of joy. Now I, I want you to continue closing your eyes and I want you to think of the toughest or the most testing thing that you experienced this year. We can open our eyes. And I want to ask the same question. How much joy did that bring you? And, and, and I ask that question 
not to be not to be insensitive, but it, it really is actually to be sensitive for us to understand that when James says, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds, it is not that simple. Um, it is easy when it is amazing and it is good, but it is tough when it is hard. And And the reason I... I had that exercise, I gave you that exercise for us to not underestimate the weight of what James is saying just because it's difficult. Just because it's hard, and in this moment, you might feel like it's impossible to see joy come out of this, this thing in my life. Like, you have no idea what I have gone through, and I don't. I have no clue. But I want you to just open your heart. And to hear what James is saying, what God can bring out of this. Because he is asking believers to count these trials, to count it as joy. And, and, and that word count, another word for it is considering. So it's a deep thought. Another word which, which was quite interesting for me is lead. L- like leading. And... and and what that meant is like what, what James is saying is that I want you to lead your trial with a perspective of joy. So it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it's going to be joy from the start. That's not what James is asking us. He's saying that lead in the way that you process your trials with a mindset of joy. Um, another translation says it replaces the all with pure. And it says, so he says, count it pure joy. Um, and, and that also shows me that James understands that he is not referring to the, oh, I'm joyful, the type of smile in the moment. That's not what he's referring to. He is referring to a joy that is purified and shaped and formed out of a trial. Um, and, and, and it's this picture that of like refining gold, right? And, and Peter actually catches this because if you go read First Peter, these two, these two chapters are so similar. First Peter says, um, he also speaks about those who are in dispersion, which is really cool. And then he says the same thing to the people that are scattered among the nations. And he says, in all this you greatly rejoice. Then now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so I mentioned this earlier that there's two ways that we can we can go with these testing, with the testing of our faith. It will either strengthen our faith or it will weaken our faith. And in this picture that Peter speaks about of the refining of gold, there's a process where there's pressure. There's a process where there's heat that is applied. And when heat is applied, the infirmities come to the top. But it's a process. 
It's a process. In order to generate and to be able to view your trials and maybe even a specific trial for you this morning, it will take many layers of God being able to work with you through that trial until we can with a clear heart say, I view it as pure joy. Um, I'll, I'll use an example in my life. My mom went to be with the Lord like six years ago now. Um, and, and it was honestly, until today, one of the, the toughest trials I've ever had to walk through. Um, but, but through the years, time and time and time again, and today still, the Lord still is refining my heart to be able to say, I count it as pure joy. But the first initial pure joy was that through that trial, the Lord saved me. Through that trial, I came to know Christ. And so already there, the worth of what I had received far exceeds the, the hardship and the pain that I had to go through. And so today, today when I think of my mom and I think about her death, when Samson was born, when you, when you encounter, like, it, it's real. Like, your mom is not here. She is not meeting her grandchild. But it's not a sad thing for me. It's a joy thing. Because the Lord has shown me his goodness. He's shown me his faithfulness in that process. And I, and I want to encourage you, it requires, how do we do this? How do we get to the pure joy? It requires us to actually wrestle with the Lord until that gold becomes purified. And James, James says this, he says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He is giving us a recipe. He is saying that not sometimes, he says, you know this is how it works. That when you view the testing of your faith, perseverance and steadfastness will come out of it. But then he says, but let steadfastness have its full effect. Don't give up. In that processing, in the strengthening, it will be uncomfortable. But it says, don't give up. Let the Lord have its full effect until we can look at that trial and we can see God in it. We can say, I can count it as pure joy. I, I now understand what the Lord has done. Like Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Job says at the end of everything he's gone through, he said, I've heard of you with my ears, but now I have seen you with my eyes. There's a, there's a processing that is necessary in order to drag the gold out of what God allows us to go through. And then he says in verse 4, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And, and I... Obviously, want to put a disclaimer there. In this time, in this world, that is, not, that is not what James is talking about. He's not talking about in this world that we will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
he is talking about those 12 tribes that is dispersed and scattered amongst the nations. He is talking about the time when Christ comes and gathers each and every single one of us and bring us to himself. It says, then. Then we will see the full effect of everything we've gone through. Then we will fully have understanding of why, why we needed to go through everything we went through. Why, Lord? Why was this necessary? Why was that necessary? It says, then the effect, and this is what the effect will look like, that you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's super encouraging. And I, and I want to just point out that Paul, ah, oh, James, shows this as one process. This is one process. It is a process that will happen across all of your life. It, 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 your, your, your refining and, and your, your testing of your faith and the, the producing of steadfastness won't have a stopping point. The stopping point is when you meet Christ. Right? Scripture says that the same, the work that Jesus started, he will complete. He will continue to do until the day that Jesus comes back. Hebrews 12 says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Right? He begins our faith. He, in, he is with us through the testing of it, and then he completes it. He is committed to strengthening our faith. Um, and because of this, because we know this, James says, this is why we can count our trials as pure joy. Not because it's easy and not because it is a joyful thing, but because we know what it will eventually work out for us in the future. And I love what Peter says. It says, for a little while. He says, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And, and I love to view this, but like if this piece was our life on earth, just this piece of steel, and the rest of this entire whole is eternity, this is where our trials are. This is the for a little while. And in, based on that, Hebrews 12, I feel like, adds so well to this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And, and I want you just to the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, but focus in on this because Jesus lived what we just preached. The joy for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then the Hebrews writer instructs us and says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And, and when I consider him, it's, it's impossible for me to consider Christ without considering the cross, without considering what he did for you and I. 
It said, for the joy set before him. If we look at the death of Christ, if we look at the suffering of what he endured. And, and, and for me, the thing that always like strikes me is the fact that Christ didn't have to do any of it. I love what any says, um, I can't remember who says it, but he says that the only thing that you contributed to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary for Christ to go to the cross. And this says that Jesus didn't drag his feet to the cross. It said, for the joy set before him, he endured. His faith, his trust was so built and so tested in God the Father. It was so set that his joy was so set on him that when the cross came and the Father allowed him to go through the cross and to experience death for our behalf, it said that he endured it because there was joy set before him. And that joy, a, a big part of that joy was being able to open up the gates to you and I to have the same joy, to experience the same relationship with the Father that he had with the Father. To have open conversation with the Father. And that, that is the testing of our faith. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.